You're listening to 105.1 Life FM, Bendigo's Positive Choice, and it's 12 o'clock on a Sunday, and we are here again with Samuel Chizikedi, Q&A with Samuel and Alida Robinson from Ark Church. How are you, Samuel? I am well, Alida. How are you going? Oh, we're really good here. Thank you so much. It's a, it's a great... Praise um, Jesus. <laughs> another great day in Bendigo. And, uh, Praise Jesus. Yeah, we've been uh, having a bit of a chat about end times or the the, um, the theology around what is going to happen when Jesus returns or, or as he, you know, the signs of the times, as they say, as well. And yeah, uh, you did yeah. do a bit of a, um, a pricey or a bit of an introduction on what we were speaking about and you talked about um, the classic view and the rapture view and I just thought mm. you might like to just encapsulate that a little bit more, give us a, a, a a summary of what we talked about last week so that we've uh, we've all got a place where we can start as we think about what we're doing moving forward. Yeah, now the, the question we had uh, on our table is the question of the hand times, mm. uh, which in Christian uh, theology is a big thing because uh, there, is a, there is an entire branch of Christian doctrine that is dedicated to that particular question, which is the question of eschatology. So, and time or the doctrine of last things. And so we started out uh, looking at that particular question related to the question that was asked about uh, rapture, uh, the rapture view. Now, I said that last time that, you know, many people have, um, have heard only one, one view, uh, which is the rapture view um, of hand time. Uh, but there are at least three views uh, that uh, are, you know, discussed, at least held by a number of Christian theologians. Uh, the first one is the church classical view, uh, which was held all the way from you know, the beginning of the church all the way to uh, 15, uh, no, 1827. And uh, when uh, then the rapture view came uh, into, uh, into focus, uh, and so that's the second view. The second view is rapture view, which was taught um, uh, by a gentleman called John Darby. And, but there is also the preterist view, which is also another view uh, that is held by people like N.T. Wright. And uh, so there are at least three views now. All these views on what will happen at the end of history are built on, um, you know, certain biblical texts. So to know which view is biblical, we are at least closest to the proper analysis of scripture. One needs to have in view what scripture teaches. Yeah. So that's why we started out with uh, reading uh, the central text, which is the Olivet Discourse. Uh, it's called the Olivet Discourse. Jesus uh, speaks of what will happen at the end of history uh, in Mark chapter 13. And so I think we read that text last time. I'm, yeah, I'm we did. tempted to, to make sure we read it again, just, mm -hmm. just out of respect for the text. Yeah. And so there's two texts we, we looked at last time, Mark 13 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 from verse 13 all the way to chapter 5, verse 8. So I'm going to read the text uh, very quickly. As Jesus was leaving the temple, I'm reading from the NIV, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. And do you see all these great things? Jesus replied, not one stone will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, opposite to the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, 
tell us when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled. Jesus said to him, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nations, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of, the, of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what you what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and the father is child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountain. Let no one on the rooftop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloud. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when mm -hmm. God created the world yeah. until now. Never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At the time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At the time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the end of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig trees. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So, pardon me. That's our first text there in um, uh, Mark, which is the, you know, um, Olivet Discourse, very, very fundamental text for, uh, you know, end times. Why? Because these are the words of the Lord himself. Yeah. Okay, these yeah. are the very words of the Lord Himself. He taught on the question. Now, the second text we're going to look at uh, is the text that is drawn from uh, Paul's 
uh, first correspondence to the Thessalonians. Now remember, these are Gentiles believers uh, who had questions on this matter, and Paul is writing to them about this. Now, we read from verse 13. Brothers and sisters, chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own words, we tell you that we who are still alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Mm-hmm. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need uh, to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are now not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Amen? Amen. There we are. That's the reading. And you will notice that here exactly the apostle is echoing, not only is echoing, is telling us that these are the words of the Lord himself. Mm, It's not as though, it's not as though the Lord was saying, the Holy Spirit has given me this by revelation. Okay, because sometimes that's how you know these days we start to sort of insert things. When he says these are the words of the Lord, he is quoting a tradition. You know, yeah. There is a, a biblical, um, you know, uh, you know, a, approach that has been always known by whether it's New Testament scholars or you know, you know, um, your biblical historians. For example, when Paul says in First Corinthians chapter eleven, you know, I've passed unto you that which I received from the Lord. Right? Yeah. Everybody knows that that it doesn't mean that I was some way in prayer and just simply the Holy Spirit said to me, no, it was passing on a tradition. Mm. Traditions are sayings, statements that the apostles had passed on to, uh, you know, others. Some of these traditions, you know, many scholars can identify them. Uh, that, okay, these are words that were passed. You know, I have received from the Lord. That which I've passed on to you. So he's like, these are the, Lord, the Lord's own words. So Paul here is not writing something new. He's echoing the Olivet Discourse. Let's just simply pose that as part of our hermeneutical uh, starting point 
and then we can get back to it. Yep. So <laughs> it's all very interesting, isn't it? It's a great subject. So uh, we'll come mm. back um, after this song and uh, we'll discuss that a little bit further. We're back. Samuel, before the break, um, you read a number of passages of scripture, uh, Mark 13, uh, which is called the Olivet Discourse, and 1 Thessalonians 4 from verse 13 through to chapter 5, verse 8, just to give uh, people the, um, the understanding of what the Bible says about these things and how it was being taught and how that, uh, the, the words of, of God, the words of Jesus were being passed down um, from, from person to person so that it was the words of God and not just someone else's thinking or, someone, or something that someone dreamed up, but it was something that actually the Lord had passed on. Yeah. Yeah, so the reason why I started there, because I wanted to, is, uh, this, uh, you know, I like that as an hermeneutical um, you know, uh, principle, uh, because I've seen people who uh, sort of detach the words of the apostles uh, from the words of Jesus. 
there has been actually quite a, a significant, sizable, you know, um, uh, you know, part of uh, uh, people within a, a Christian um, uh, fold who have who had started to attempt to uh, to separate the words of the Apostle Paul from the words of Jesus, as though Paul was capable of teaching another theology that was not. Uh, that which actually Jesus and the apostles, the other apostles had taught, because Paul has written nearly more than half uh, the New Testament. And since his, his conversion came after Jesus had died and come back from the dead, it's very easy for people to do that kind of, you know, it's elementary mistake, but which can be ingrained. So I want you know, everybody to know that Paul wasn't just simply pulling out things of his own. Mm. Uh, you know, when Paul started to preach, he still had to go and check with the with those in Jerusalem whether what he was teaching was was appropriate. So, Paul's yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't as if he he went preaching straight after he was converted. Um, it, there was a long time before he was actually sent out by the disciples, so he would have had plenty of time to learn a whole lot of stuff too. No, no. He, when you read um, on that point, when you read in in Galatians, he tells you that he actually he said, "I got my gospel from the law." Yes. Okay. When when he was converted, he went on preaching. He, the man was is a Jew, a Pharisee. Okay, it was trained by Gamaliel, we know that. And so Jesus was a Jew, his apostles were Jews. You can be certain that there were not a lot of things that were different in his teaching than that which Jesus, because Jesus himself was a rabbi, Jewish rabbi. Mm. But the only difference was the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. That was the difference. The reason why Paul went to persecute all the other believers is on that point. Once yeah. there was a switch, once the switch happened, when the Lord appeared to him and he realized Jesus is the Messiah. So whatever he had to teach as a, a Jewish rabbi, uh, you know, apart from the difference with Apostle Paul was the fact that the gospel could be preached to the Gentiles uh, and what in Mosaic law could the Gentiles hold uh, for it to be compatible with the, with the salvation. And that becomes the bigger point. But the remaining of the things that he had taught, apart from should we obey mosaic laws in all its, you know, including circumcision and observing Sabbaths and new moons and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so he went back to check because he was telling to the Gentiles, no, that's not important. And so he went back to Jerusalem, the Jerusalem Council in uh, Act 15, and that was checked with the, the pillars, uh, that's James, John, and Peter. And so he checked with them. They did a huge conference. They stayed there for a while. And then the uh, conclusion of Jerusalem Council were given. So Paul then can, could continue to preach uh, the gospel he'd been preaching, uh, which is, is a capacity to be able to analyze the Old Testament and then bring it in with the understanding with the Messiah was exactly the same way the apostles had learned it. And the apostles and Paul continued. So you remember, Paul was trained by Barnabas. Yes. Paul didn't just simply drop out of the sky. No, he was mentored right. by Barnabas. Yes. Barnabas had been with the apostles from the beginning. Mm. This is why whatever Paul taught was in line with what was taught from the beginning because Barnabas was part of those who had started very early on. Do you, can, can I bring this to your attention something? When you hear the story of Ananias and Sapphira, they had sold anything because at the time, Barnabas, he had also sold his property and given all his, everything that he had to the church. Mm. So these people like Barnabas, uh, we're really the, you know, the people who, like when, when Matthias is chosen, he's chosen among the group of people who were the second layer, or maybe the third, first layer, the three uh, central, James, John, and Peter. Then the second layer was the 12, okay? But yeah. these 
three were part of the 12, but they were sort of, you know, a, a different set. These are the guys who went with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and so on and so forth. And so um, then you have the 12, then you have the 70, which means that all the outlay, when they were selecting um, who could replace Judas, they didn't just simply go out on the street to get someone. They said, no. we need to find from people who were with us from the beginning. Yeah, that's right. And Barnabas were part of those people. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So, and well, they cast a lot, and then it fell on Mat Matthias. That's how they got Matthias in. Yeah. And so having that in the, in the background as knowledge will help. When Paul went and started after being touched by um, Ananiah, who they prayed for him and opened his eyes, he was taken by Barnabas to be mentored. Yeah. Then he traveled with Barnabas wherever he went yeah. for the first trip until they separated when they had a little discord. But that's that. Mm. So everybody who reads this must remember Paul is echoing here the words of the Lord. Yeah. That's very important. Now, yes. So I was saying that there were three views. Um, those are the classic views, the rapture view, and the preterist view. Now, the classic view uh, uh, that the church had held until 1827 um, was still, still be, being held you know, elsewhere in the church. Uh, but it's not the most popular right now. The most popular view is the rapture view. Uh, and uh, we talked about why the rapture view has become the most popular. Um, now, the classic view posits that there is only one coming of the Lord. And this coming, just going from Mark, tells you that all these things will happen. There will be distress, tribulation. In fact, God, it's for the sake of his elect that he, he shortened it. Mm -hmm. And then when the Lord comes, you know, at the sound of the trumpet, he'll gather his elect from the four corners of the earth, from the four winds. Mm -hmm. And that's when he's going to gather his elect. Yeah. Now, so when we went to, uh, to read uh, Thessalonian, uh, the Thessalonian even said the Lord will come on the clouds. Mm. So I'll actually put out some text because, uh, you know, the rapture view uh, says that the Lord will come, it will stay in the, in the air and we will join him. So the church will be raptured and, um, and then we will be with the Lord. It says forever. No, no, forever in the cloud, uh, question mark, but we'll be with the Lord forever. And the tribulation will happen. And then after the tribulation, then uh, the church will come back down with the Lord. And so the Lord is there for coming to, twice, like to the first time to rapture the elect, the second time to come for judgment, mm. right? So that is uh, the way uh, rapture view is presented. If you're still with me, are you still there? Yep. Yes. Okay. Now, so I did say that the rapture view um, was propounded by John Darby. Um, in 1827, and this view that's what's called sometimes Darbyism, and this view uh, was, you know, it's Darby, uh, John Darby was the one who actually popularized it, but it doesn't mean that he also just simply pulled it out of thin air. Uh, there's a, a, a background history uh, from how this may have come to John Darby's attention. And so this view uh, has been very influential. That's why most people actually believe in this view with no question asked. They've never heard any other view. Um, why? Because number one, this view was, um, uh, you know, endorsed by the Schofield Reference Bible, which became, I remember when I we started ministry, if you didn't have the Schofield Reference Bible, it's like you didn't have a Bible. Yeah. It was, it's very influential Schofield Reference Bible. Mm -hmm. And then uh, in most fundamental uh, uh, and evangelical Christian churches, um, it has been propounded because of the Dallas Theological Seminary, which 
has been one of the flagship seminaries among the evangelicals. So the Dallas Theological Seminary has put out a lot of church ministers, pastors, and many of them, they've taken the rapture view like with their mother's milk. Mm. And then, as I said, it was made also um, uh, popular by, you know, Tim LaHaye um, with the Left Behind. We talked about it in the, you know, how Lindsay also had, had written The Greatest Planet Earth, uh, mm. propounding this particular view. So this view is very popular. Mm. And um, unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, people who hold this view hold it such strongly that if they had somebody else is with a different view they've never heard, it's as though it was such a big deal that it's a, a deal breaker. Mm. Uh, I wanted before I go any further to say, you know, whenever I talk to my Christian brothers, I ask them, do you think that for somebody to go to heaven, to be saved, do they have to believe that the church will be ruptured? There's the question. Well, well, many of them were sense enough to say, well, no. No, that's right. It doesn't say believe in Jesus and believe the church will be ruptured. No. Yeah, no. Believe in Jesus. Believe and in the resurrection of the dead and, yeah. the ret- and the return of Jesus. I can say at least anyone who says Jesus will never return. Uh-uh. But rapture or not, whether I, somebody believes in a classical view or preterism or in a rapture view, it does not negate their, uh, salvation. their salvation. No. Because they still all believe Jesus is coming back. Yes. And so uh, the only thing, uh, before I went further analyzing, uh, is that the person who believes in a classical view believes that tribulation will come and need to be prepared for it. Mm. The person who believes in a rapture view uh, believes that before it hits really hard, then uh, we will have to be raptured in the church. We will not go through the tribulation. That's the difference. Yes. And so I personally say the difference is in the psychology, not in the theology. Yeah. The difference, the theological basis give you the psychological predisposition, but... The impact is in the psychology. Will we be out of here before trouble hits uh, or not? Becomes therefore the deep question there. And so, uh, yeah, I thought because when we talked about it, I laid some theological ground. And by sort of discussing it in real terms, it may start to prepare us a bit more. So when we get back into the theology, nobody's going to say, oh, you don't believe in rapture, therefore you're not going to be saved. No, 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 no. no. If, if rapture happens, even those who believe in the classic view, will be caught up into it. If there is no rapture, those who believe in rapture will, st- will stay here and face the tribulation and are they prepared for it? Yeah. Those are the questions. Yeah, they are, they are the questions. And we will continue to discuss those questions uh, after we have a little bit of a pause for another great song on Life FM.
You're listening to 105.1 Life FM, Bendigo's Positive Choice, and we are continuing our conversation about um, the doctrine of last things, Samuel, and we have been talking about the rapture. Uh, actually, what I yep. thought was interesting that you said in the last uh, uh, the, the last session was that really how you interpret this does not affect your salvation, and sometimes people do get mm. a little bit um, excited Carried about away. this. Yeah, they get very <laughs> excited about uh, about all the Bible teachers around this and their interpretations mm. or the different interpretations. But at the end of the day, um, whether you believe that you're going to be raptured before the tribulation or after the tribulation does not even yeah. uh, affect your salvation, but it does, as you said, affect your mental attitude as you approach the time and how you prepare for it, which I think is um, yeah. really important. Mm, 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 mm. And so we've come quite, a, quite a, a way there. And I was talking about the fact that, you know, any time when you look at um, the, uh, you know, the rapture view, is first of all solidly built on the text in the Thessalonian correspondence. That's where it starts from. Yeah. Anything else that can be said about that particular view assumes uh, that the reading of First Thessalonians chapter four from verse thirteen implies rapture, and then from there they can then insert everything else that they can then read from that standpoint. And so often. Uh, when you look at a rapture view, you can you can have a lot of scriptures thrown at you. I, I'll do that uh, at, at, at some point. I don't think we'll do it in this particular session because I want to um, look at, you know reasonably at the rapture view uh, and and the way they respond to some of the uh, the way th those who read it classically, for example, uh, by saying that the church has not hold, held this view till eighteen twenty seven. How do the people who hold the rapture view? Uh, respond to that or you know uh, there, there are there are a number of uh, you know um objections that they, they try to respond and they give a lot of scriptures but all those scriptures will start with the assumption that the reading in first thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13 that they have is the correct one so uh, i did say that you know when you read this text you will notice that there is um there is a lot of you know references to when the Lord comes, uh, is coming in the clouds. The, the use of the word cloud there uh, was not, uh, it's not uncommon uh, or it's not just simply unique to Apostle Paul. Uh, there is a lot of text uh, throughout whenever talking about 
Even even Matthew, for example, uh, you know, in Matthew chapter 24, uh, you know, Matthew writing about the second coming, and these are the words of the Lord, you will see the Son of Man coming up on the clouds. Even when you read, um, you're you following? You're following? Yep, yep. Yeah. Um, now, when you read, um, you know, for example, uh, when when the Lord is is talking in about the resurrection, um, he, he says that the son of the son of man will come uh, with power on the clouds. So the use of the word cloud uh, is not unique to Apostle Paul in First Thessalonians uh, chapter uh, chapter four, and we will look at, in details at, at that. Uh, but I wanted to start by saying that they, we shall join the Lord or we will catch up with the Lord uh, up in the air. Uh, I did say that the terminology used there is the word, the Greek word, apanthesis. And in Greek literature, apanthesis was the meeting of a dignitary by uh, people in his domain who, had, uh, who was meeting the dignitary upon is returned. Uh, so that's that's the use of the word apanthesis. And so it does not denote a special sort of, you know, um, meeting the Lord up in the air as uh, those who look at the rapture view uh, tells us. It just simply means that the, the elect will meet the Lord. And Jesus in the, the Olivet Discourse says that at the sound of the trumpet, the Lord will send his angels and they'll, they'll pick all his elects to come and meet the Lord. So that meeting of the Lord that is talked about in Mark chapter 13 is not dissimilar to the meeting of the Lord in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So the meeting of the Lord is the dignitary returning to his domain, uh, the Lord's second coming. But you see the Mark text that we just read places that event of the meeting the Lord by the elects when? It places it after the tribulation. It places it after the tribulation. And that's where Mark places it. Mm -hmm. So Jesus on words say, well, God shortened the tribulation because of the elect. And then after that, the Lord will send his angel at the sound of the trumpet and the call of the archangel. The Lord will send his angels to, to gather the elect. Then the elect will come and meet the Lord. So unless one assumes, which we will find out uh, soon, that one assumes that the Olivet Discourse is different from the First Thessalonian uh, correspondence of the Apostle Paul. So one must start there. When I was reading and studying this text, I wanted to find out what exactly is the difference here. So one must assume that what Paul is describing in First Thessalonians is not what Jesus was describing in Mark chapter 13. That's the only difference between those who hold a classic view and those who hold unto the rapture view. Are you with me? Yeah. So, and once that is resolved, if we can resolve, is First Thessalonians 13, uh, all the way to uh, chapter 4, verse 13, all the way to 5, verse 8 that we read, is that Apostle Paul quoting or passing on a tradition from what he had heard from the Apostle earlier, or is it something new that is just headed uh, to insert rapture in it? Once that is resolved, then we can uh, we can sort of uh, settle the matter. Are you are you with me? Yes, mm. I am following. So yeah. yes, so 
that is, um, and also the, the thing that we need to settle here is to establish whether the resurrection, the resurrection and the judgment, the resurrection and the fi fi final judgment, the resurrection of those who are dead in Christ and the transformation of those who still be alive and the resurrection of those, those who are wicked, does it happen at this stage or the rapture happens first and then uh, when they return, so there'll be two resurrections. Hmm. Now, is those who are going to be caught up to avoid the tribulation, is it going to be those who are still alive who get transformed to meet the Lord in the air? Or is it like, uh, you know, we, uh, let me get back to that text in, uh, in, um, in Mark 13 so that we can, we can you know, um, set ourselves up uh, again. So verse 20, if the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At this time, anyone says to you, look, here he is. Look, there he is. Do not believe it. For false Messiah will, will arise. And so the Lord just simply reads that. And it says, verse 26, at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth uh, to the end of the heavens. And so this is where Jesus says that the gathering of the elects will happen uh, after and the it, tribulation. Yeah, and it doesn't actually say that they will be gathered in the clouds or in the sky with him. He's just gathering them, as you said. Um, he's gathering yes, but, them from all the four winds of the earth. Yeah, but you can see, though, he comes on the clouds. So uh, it, yeah. it's, it's only reasonable to look at what Paul says in the Thessalonian correspondence that they will go and meet the Lord. If he's coming in the cloud, they're going to meet him. You know, the assumption they'll meet him where he is, right? Mm, yeah. And so he gathers his elect to meet, to up and test his him. So to meet up with the Lord. And so the uh, Thessalonian correspondence says, we'll meet the Lord in the cloud, which is, is coming on the cloud. Uh, that, that doesn't, it doesn't really stretch the text uh, that much. Okay, but, but, in, yeah. but, in verse, but in 1 Thessalonians 4, in verse 17, it says, after yes. that, we who are still alive and are left yes. will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord yes. in the air. And so we will yeah. be with the Lord forever. Therefore, yes. encourage yes. each other with these words. Yeah. Yes. So you can therefore see that uh, Apostle Paul uh, set this particular event with the resurrection. Yes. So what I wanted to do is to do the, um, because I think it's, it's very important that I give some, some points on uh, the purpose, according to the classic view, before I come back to analyze the rapture view, uh, and their, you know, sort of the, uh, the rebuttal of the rapture view from, from that standpoint. Let's, I want to look at uh, the nature and the purpose of the second coming. Okay? Mm -hmm. now, so let's look at, first of all, the purpose of the second coming, and then we will go back and do the nature of the second coming. Yeah? Is that okay? Yep, that sounds good. Now, the point I'm looking at here, I'll give us four points. Uh, I'm looking at the classic view first. I want to give the classic view. And this will be very helpful. Number one, if somebody's writing down, just write this down. Number one, the purpose of the second coming is so that the Lord will gather his elect, his church, right? Yeah. Number one, it comes to gather his elect. Let's read Matthew chapter 24. Chapter 24 uh, verse 29 to 31. Because if, if everybody's like, okay, well, he's coming to gather his elect. So that's that's the first purpose, to gather his church. That's the purpose of the first, for second coming. But is it going to be one coming uh, or is it going to be uh, two comings with rapture? 
Um, now, so you're in Matthew 24, so, yeah? We're in Matthew 24. Mm-hmm. Um, I was want to make sure that we give a bit of a quick a pause to our listeners when it is due, uh, so that then when we come, uh, they, they've enjoyed a, a nice song. Uh, then we can uh, yeah. Well, let's, uh, we, uh, let's we can come back. Let's in. do that. Then we'll let them uh, look up Matthew twenty four, and uh, we'll have a bit of a. Um, we'll come back and uh, read that through after we've listened to this song. One day Jesus is coming. You may be at church. You may be at work. You may be asleep. God grant that you will be ready when he makes his personal appearance. My God, what if his appearance occurs on a Sunday morning? My prophetic word to you this morning is get ready, get ready! Yevarechecha Adonai v'yishmerecha Yair Adonai panav elecha v'yichuneka Yisa Adonai panav elecha v'yasem lecha shalom The Lord bless you and keep you The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace sound of the clock Think about all the lost People who are going through life Living for themselves instead of living for God Who's gonna let them know Who's gonna warn their souls Don't wanna let them live without you Why are we talking about it? Why is the church so silent? There's a whole world that's dying And there's so many people
talking about it? Why is the church so silent? There's a whole world that's dying And there's so many people who are going in the fire Man, it's a real place And once you go, there's no escape Don't wait for the days It's the part for me, I don't know, man eternity with or without God. Jesus talked about hell more than he ever talked about heaven. If it was real for him, it needs to be real for us. This could be your last shot to make things right with him. Don't wait until it's too late. Welcome back, Samuel. Uh, we are all poised and ready. We've opened our Bibles at uh, Matthew 24, and we're ready to, uh, to read. So go ahead. You will notice that this is actually synoptical. Why? Because if you read the verse just before, you know, Jesus said, verse 26, so if anyone tells you that there he is out in the wilderness, don't go out there. If they say he's here in the room, don't believe it for, you know, um, for that comes lightning. from the east is visible even in the west. Yeah, in the west. Uh, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So it's not a, a sort of a hidden coming where nobody knows and he just simply snatches his, his elect, uh, uh, you know, uh, up in the cloud without everybody has seen. Like when yeah. you've seen those movies where people are just standing there, people start to vanish and nobody has seen the Lord. Now here, Matthew is saying, now it'll be like lightning. Everybody will see his coming. Now, yeah. wherever there is a carcass, their vultures will gather immediately after the distress of those days. So after the tribulation. The sun will be darkened and the moon will see is echoing exactly what Mark had said. Uh, the, star, the stars will uh, fall from the sky and heavenly bodies will be shaken. Verse 30, then will appear a sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the people of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. He comes again on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. They will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heaven uh, to the other. Mm -hmm. So you can see that Mark echoes the same thing, Matthew echoes the same thing, uh, that he will come to gather his elect. So the great gathering of all the Christians and all the believers will be at the coming of, of the Son of Man. And so that's the first thing we need to to notice there that the, the, the first point is to gather his elect. Number two, the second coming of the Son of Man will be the occasion for the resurrection of the dead. It is then that the resurrection of the dead will happen. If you go, let's turn to John chapter 5, verse 29. John chapter 5, verse 25, 25 oh, to 25. 25. And so you'll see that the word of the Lord have been very consistent. 
So we're looking at John 5 from verse 25. Okay, let's read from verse 24, just a bit of context. Verily, verily, I tell you, whoever re-hears my word and believes in me, uh, him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in him, so he has granted to the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge before, because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done what is good will rise to live. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Now, you can see Jesus ties the resurrection of the just and the unjust in one event. There will be two resurrections. They will hear the sound of the Son of Man, and they will rise, those who are in Christ for life, and those who are uh, not in Christ for eternal judgment. So the second coming will achieve the purpose of the, uh, the resurrection for the dead of all people. Everybody shall be raised from the dead at the second coming. Number three, the second coming, this one ties in beautifully, you know, for the resurrection and for the judgment. So third point number three, the second coming will be for the purpose of judging all people. Let's read two texts that would be of interest here to us. I want to, no, maybe three. Uh, three texts. We read three texts. Yeah. Uh, let's start with the first in First Corinthians text in First Corinthians. This is Apostle Paul himself as well. First Corinthians chapter four, verse three. It's turning, turning our, our pages. You can hear the sound of the pages being turned. A little now, turning our pages through yeah, our Bibles. Um, and so <laughs> you might too. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, um, chapter four, verse three uh, to five. We can read. Now, I care very little. If I'm judged by you or by any man caught, indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise, their, their praise, from God. So, Apostle Paul is establishing here, don't judge me now, there's a time set when the Lord comes back, that's where judgment will happen. How about we turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, and we're going to read verse 27. Now, this text here is within the context of Jesus predicting his death. Okay, the Lord is just predicting his death here. And I think for the sake of the context, um, let's start from verse 24. Oh, 24. <laughs> 24. 24 is fine. Yeah. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take out their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life will find it. But what good will it be for someone to gain our world yet forfeit their own soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. Then he will reward each person according to what they have done. So you can mm. see when the Son of Man comes in his Father's glory is for that final judgment. 
Let's turn to the book of Jude. It's a very small book uh, before the book of Apocalypse or the book of Revelation. Uh, it's only got one chapter and you're going to read, you're going to read verse 14 and 15. Uh, so past Philemon or Philemon, uh, turning quickly past Hebrews, past James, we go past John, first and second and third John, and we arrive. You need, at Jude. Uh, you need tabs in your Bible like I have, Samuel. You just have to go to the tab. Yes, you can just simply get there straight away. <laughs> it's really good. Right. I can recommend yeah. it. Ah, uh, yes, absolutely. Okay, so we're reading Jude, uh, Jude verse fourteen and verse fifteen. Let's read very quickly uh, here. If we read, um, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones, angels, to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness. And all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Uh, so you can see he's saying here, that less the Lord is coming and his coming is for the sake of judging all people. Last point, the second coming of the Lord is to finish or complete the work of redemption. So the reason why Jesus is coming back is so that the work of redemption may be complete. And this is one final big, big massive point. And First Corinthians chapter 5, 15, First Corinthians 15, we're going to read verse 22 to 28. And then we read verse 50 upward until uh, when I think we will need to stop. I just want to, um, 1 Corinthians 15. 28. Uh, yes, 22 it is. There we shall read. It's a start from verse 20. I've always, you know, sort of, you, you always have a bit of a few context, contextual verses before. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came from a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruit, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come. You should notice that? So Christ first, then those who are, comes, who are in him, then the end will come. Those, uh, yeah, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now, when he says everything is, has been put under his feet, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who puts everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him, who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now, if there is no... Uh, um, uh, resurrection? Now, there, yeah, oh. verse 29, yeah. there's no resurrection. What will, those who, who, what will those do who are baptized, uh, baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ, Jesus our Lord. So I've read a bit more, few past few verses uh, 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 from where I said we would read. But you can see here that, you know, when Christ comes back, Apostle Paul sets up that first Christ is the first fruit. And then after that comes uh, those who are 
uh, who were dead in Christ. So everybody will rise at that point. Let's read the last um, text, which is verse 50 to 57. And then we'll just simply, you know, conclude the program for today and then come back um, uh, next uh, next week. Next verse week 50 we read. And we'll join all the dots. <laughs> yes. yes. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must close itself with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then saying, that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Mm. Where all death is your victory, where all death is your sting, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is law. But thanks to God, it gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So Apostle Paul, uh, you know, closes chapter here by making very clear that when the Lord comes, that will be the resurrection. So anybody who assumes rapture will have to sort the either set up uh, the resurrection in two steps, uh, or it's the resurrection for the godly and ungodly all at once for the judgment. So mm. uh, that's just to close that I wanted to uh, highlight what the classic view uh, teaches. And when we come back next time, I will take the... Um, the objections uh, from the rupture view, and then we will answer them. Well, that'll be terrific. Well, we'll be uh, looking forward to uh, next week's session, Samuel, and uh, and being able to join the dots, as I said, and uh, and get a better understanding of exactly what the time frame is looking like. So we'll catch up with you next week. Have a lovely day to all our listeners, and uh, and I'll uh, talk to you next week too, Samuel. 